Heaven invades earth at Christmas. Well, it is nearly Christmas. And I've been thinking about the Christmas story. And it might be something to do with what's been going on recently. But have you ever realised how provocative the Christmas story is? I mean, the coming of Jesus was an invasion. Heaven breaks into earth. It's a confrontation between good and evil. Okay, so I might just ruin the Christmas story for you today. No candles and sweet lullabies here. This is a wrestling with God version of the Christmas story. I can't quite move on from what I feel God is speaking to us about. And certainly the worship has confirmed that today, that we're learning church how to fight, how to wrestle in prayer. So this is not so much about Jesus born in a manger, but how he was parachuted out of heaven by the Holy Spirit into Mary's womb under the cover of darkness. Hidden there was the beginning of an invasion. Heaven forced its way into earth. The king of heaven sent to rescue us from the grip of sin and death and to liberate us from the power of Satan. Are you ready for this? Heaven invades earth in three deliberate acts, starting from Matthew chapter 1. And firstly, the first act is the nature of Jesus' birth. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Straight away you can see the nature of Jesus' birth broke the rules. God broke the rules. Jesus' conception contravened the law. Mary was pledged to another. It broke the rules of religion. Joseph was faithful to the law. It raised significant moral concerns. Mary was an unmarried mother. She could have been stoned for adultery. And Jesus hasn't even been born yet. And there's controversy. And even today, the virgin birth is controversial. I was talking to a Muslim priest a few years ago. And I was amazed at how this One thing, the virgin birth, is the single biggest objection that they have to Jesus and the story of the gospel. To Muslims, it's like Christians are saying that God had sex with a woman. It's offensive. That's how they see it. But religion never leads to relationship. And Jesus is all about a relationship. His father, the father sent the son through a virgin to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. There's something else I want you to see here about the way that Jesus was parachuted to earth. It's very important, and that's that God started the war. He started it. 
In sending Jesus as the saviour of the world, God is the antagonist. The prince of this world is being driven out because heaven comes near. As John puts it, light shines in the darkness and darkness gets in a mess. (laughs) See, God turns on the light and darkness has to flee. Light on, darkness off. Light on, darkness off. Darkness can't overcome the light. And we are his ambassadors. You see, we're from the kingdom of light. And so when we walk out into the darkness, what happens? There's a reaction. There's a reaction because we bring the battle with us. People often say things like, oh, I'm really under attack at the moment. And and it's certainly, that can be true, but sometimes I wonder about this. I mean, does darkness really run towards the light? Or does darkness run away from the light? (laughs) See, I'm not sure how much the devil actually likes our company. (laughs) One thing I've realised over the years is that if we keep very quiet and hidden in the Christian life, that there will be very little trouble or opposition. You know, ever wondered why some people seem to live such quiet, untroubled lives? And you kind of wonder about it. Now, when I'm attacked, it's usually a reaction to what I'm doing. And I'll say to myself, oh, I provoked a reaction there. I must be doing something right. I can't say I enjoy this. That would be crazy. But I've learned to take some kind of encouragement in it, knowing that I'm causing some trouble. Church, we're meant to cause trouble. Church, we're meant to be light on a hill that cannot be hidden. And when the darkness sees it, it gets very concerned. And see, often what is happening in opposition is that Satan is reacting to what God is doing through us. When the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, that's how Jesus described it, there's a reaction. God started the war. And we bring the battle with us. Darkness reacts to the light. How are you doing with Christmas so far? Get this. Opposition doesn't come because of sin. No. That's illogical. Satan encourages us to sin. Neither is sinning usually the reason why things suddenly go wrong. I mean, look around the world. Some of the most successful people in the world are also some of the greatest sinners. It's because as God's ambassadors, we are covered in light. We are a provocation. The darkness reacts. So if you want to be... If you want a completely quiet and untroubled life, don't do anything. Don't do anything great. Don't do anything significant for God. Hide your light and be completely innocuous. You heard it here. But wouldn't you rather see the darkness tremble? (laughs) We were singing about that. Wouldn't Wouldn't we rather overcome? Wouldn't you rather see the sick healed and demons flee? Or those who are in darkness drawn into the light? Yeah. So that's the second act of heaven's invasion that we see in Matthew chapter 2. And it's in the presence of the Magi. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
the darkness gets drawn into the light. You know, contrary to tradition, these men were not at the birth. We don't know how many there were, but there certainly would have been more than three. And they've been traveling from a neighboring land. They would have traveled about 900 miles, and it would have taken them several months to get there. Who were they? We don't know exactly, but researchers say that the Magi were pagans. They were schooled in the dark arts. They were soothsayers, astrologers, magicians, magicians. Not the kind who do tricks at a party for entertainment, but powerful wizards who put curses on their enemies and cast spells. Why were they there? Why? Why were they there? Why were these gentle pagan devil worshippers led to Jesus? Why did he allow these false prophets to witness his glory? Why? These men were from the same school as Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, whom Peter described as full of bitterness and captive to sin. The same school of thought as Elymas, who opposed Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, and he called him a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You wouldn't want these kind of people around your baby. You wouldn't want this kind of person around your children, yet they were there in the house of the infant Jesus who would have been around two years old. Two years old. You don't want these kind of people around your children. But look what happens to them. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says that on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down. Literally, they fell to the ground. They didn't bow down in a sort of obsequious kind of religious way. They had no choice. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord. They bowed down. They fell to the ground, and they worshipped him, and then they opened their treasures to him. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. Perhaps they fell under the power of God, came under the conviction of sin. They worshipped him, but they couldn't help it. They brought gifts for a king to pay their respects. It was a political thing. It was a political act, a new king. But no, this wasn't. It's, it turned on a moment, and they, they worshipped. They opened their treasures. They opened their hearts. They gave themselves to him. Worship, worship. That was too far. Worship was too far. Worship was not reserved for men, but for God, even in a pagan understanding. Worship, and, and this is how I see it, that God drew the major <laughs> to the light. It started right back then. Do you see that? He sent a light, a star, to call them to Jesus. And it led them right to where he was. It stopped over his house. I mean, was that deliberate or what? I mean, what on earth was God doing? Perhaps he was drawing Satan into the battle by introducing some of his people to Jesus. And if you know the story up until this point, there had been no opposition to Jesus. There had been no threats, no trouble, no reactions at all. Almost Christmas card perfect. Up until this point, Jesus had simply slipped into the world. And I wonder if Satan even knew what was going on at this point. Whatever God's strategy, 
there is no doubt about it that God drew the Magi into a spiritual confrontation. Good confronting evil. Light exposing darkness. <laughs> a spiritual confrontation. And when they say, saw Jesus, it says that they fell to their faces. And they left, it says, filled with joy. I can't help but wondering, did they get delivered? <laughs> did all the demons in them just leave? All the magic spells just, they're worthless in the face of Jesus. They opened their treasures. Did they get filled with the Holy Spirit? It says that they were filled with joy. Did they get filled with the Holy Spirit? We don't know precisely what happened, but what we do see is God drawing men from the enemy's camp, even Gentiles, into darkness with a small light, a star, because he wants people to be saved, to come out of darkness and be filled with joy, because that's what he's like. Darkness can't overcome light. Light draws the dark into the light. And guys, you know, if we're going to obey Jesus, who wants to obey Jesus? I'm sorry, but there's going to be some spiritual confrontations. They're going on actually all the time. Mostly we're not even aware of it. We perhaps need to be more aware of it. Paul says we are not unaware of the devil's schemes, but I would suggest to you that I think maybe we are unaware in the West. We don't recognize the battle that we're in. We are so materially concerned. We're so obsessed with the physical world. But most of us are not even aware of it. But wherever you go affects the place that you're in. <laughs> of course it does. You're anointed, you're full of the Holy Spirit. What we've got brings a spiritual confrontation and the darkness gets upset. Are you, are you okay with that? Yes. Well, we went on holiday. We were on holiday. We don't want spiritual confrontations when we're on holiday. We're on holiday in the south of France. We'd stay there for one or two nights in this beautiful place. And before we know it, some weird stuff starts happening in the house. The children start talking about being disturbed in the night. Alison starts saying this weird stuff. When I was doing my hair, somebody tapped me on the shoulder. There was, there was something demonic in the house. But I'm on holiday, Jesus. I don't want to have to deal with this. But we have no choice because nobody can sleep and it's a bit scary. We go upstairs, we start to pray around the house. Light switches go on and off. Weird stuff starts happening. And so I, say, I send everybody out. I say, okay, okay, I'm going to pray in this room. There was a reaction. Somebody didn't want us there. Somebody didn't want us on holiday in the south of France. It's interesting because after we prayed, it all went peaceful and we had a lovely time there. Although it was a bit freaky. <laughs> I, I happened to speak to the neighbour of the adjoining house. And as I was talking, there was a gust of wind, just an ordinary physical gust of wind. And the door slammed and she shrieked and said, oh, the phantom. It had been going on for years, apparently. 
but no more. Spoke to the owners of the house after said, by the way, we, we dealt with that thing for you that was going on in the house. <laughs> we didn't even get a refund or anything. But listen, you need to know that who you are and what you've got will cause a spiritual confrontation. You carry the presence of God, so there's going to be a reaction. You know, you're full of light. Say that. I am full of light. We are a light on a hill, and the darkness gets upset. Are you okay with that? Even the secular powers get affected. Even the secular powers and authorities are affected. The next thing we see in the Christmas story, Act 3 of this invasion, is the troubling of King Herod. You know, I suspect that God also, God drew the Magi to Jesus to draw Herod into the fray. The Magi brought the birth of a baby, born the king of the Jews, to his attention. He, he drew them with a little pinprick of star, but it then got Herod's attention. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, says that when King Herod heard this, about this new king born, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. You know, Herod was shaken to the core because he wasn't the rightful heir to David's throne. He was a usurper. He gained the throne by doing a deal with the Romans. The rest of Jerusalem, the religious and the political powers, were disturbed because a true claim to the throne would potentially upseat all of them. Which is why from the very beginning they were opposed to Jesus. But the question here was, who has authority? Who has authority in this place? Who rules? It was all about authority. Jesus, you see, was the one who had legitimate authority, even in the natural, from the royal line of David. He had a rightful claim to the throne. Matthew's very clear to point this out at the beginning of the chapter, where he says that a king would sit on David's throne forever, the Messiah. He also had authority because he was Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Anointed One. Herod was right to be afraid. And so he does what desperate and wicked kings always do when they're cornered. He resorts to murder. Chapter 2, verse 16, when Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. And it's horrible. It's really horrible. But this is a picture of the kind of opposition that we face today. And it may not be in the physical, but it's in the spiritual. This is the kind of violence and aggression, because there's a usurper on the throne who doesn't want to give up his place, even though the legitimate heir to the throne is proven and his victory is complete. He's already been vanquished, but he's fighting. He doesn't want to go. And many times, when we look to advance the kingdom, there's not just a reaction, but there's direct opposition, sometimes even physical. A thwarting of the purposes of God. And many of you will have experienced this, even if you didn't realise what was going on. 
And there are all kinds of opposition in, in terms of handling opposition. Why does that person at work hate me for no reason? Why, why, why does that person feel threatened by me? Why don't they like me? I've not done anything to them, but there's a reaction. So I've only just met them and there's already a reaction going on. Why does this job seem so hard to get? You know, I'm, I'm perfectly qualified. Why won't the door open for me? What's going on here? Why, why do I feel like I'm having to battle to get this job? Why is that house not coming to me in that area that I feel like God's led us to? Why is that person sick? Why are they being threatened like this? Right up to the kind of stuff that we're seeing in Ukraine at the moment. Opposition. And we need to be wise to these things, not get derailed when the opposition comes. And it will. If we're doing anything worthwhile for Jesus. If you haven't had any opposition recently, ask yourself some questions. Am I doing anything worthwhile for Jesus? You didn't like that question for Christmas, did you? (laughs) You see, let me just say a few things about opposition, because when we experience opposition, it doesn't mean you're outside of the will of God. How many times have you heard people say that kind of rubbish? Oh, because you're getting opposition. Must be you're outside of the will of God. Oh my goodness. If I, you know, if if I hadn't got it wrong, if I if this was right, then surely God would have opened it up for me. And I just sit back, and it just happens. Rubbish. It's more likely that if God is in it, there'll be opposition. There are going to be giants in the land that you're going to have to fight and contend against. Why? Well, I don't know, but it just is. <laughs> Look at the opposition Jesus had. Herod was trying to kill him, and that's Jesus. Do you think God had some doubts at that point, thinking, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have sent Jesus after all. Maybe I got it wrong. I remember people saying that when we were trying to move to Solihull, perhaps it's not right coming to lead the church. Because surely God would have sold your house by now. It's not true. You know, it's the same lie that the people of Israel told themselves when the spies came back and said, the promised land can't be ours because there's too many giants. Just too many. You know, if if the promised land had been ours, God would have gone ahead and sorted it out for us. He doesn't want us to, to fight. He doesn't want us to contend. This is a false gospel and it's not true. And it keeps people out of the promises of God. It's spiritual passivism. Or it's even superstition. Because that was difficult, it can't be God, so I give up. No. Can I encourage you? Happy Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give up. Don't give up. What God has said, he will bring to pass, but you're going to have to contend for some things. Just because it's difficult, take encouragement. It means you're doing something right. And you know, as soon as you discover that plan, blow me, you get through. As soon as you discover, I remember Alison and I, when we first started up in leadership, it would, stuff would go wrong all the time. It would just battle after battle. The kids would suddenly get ill, mysterious illnesses. And there came a point where suddenly Rob woke up and realised what was going on. And I said, 
devil, you can do whatever you like. You're not going to stop me from leading and doing what God's called me to do. And then blow me, stopped coming back around my house around that time. Some of you need to say that. Have that attitude. I'm not going to give up. <laughs> Even with the opposition, I'm going to press through. I'm going to overcome because I'm an overcomer. In fact, I'm more than an overcomer. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. Anyway, I've completely gone off. <laughs> Don't be superstitious. There's a kind of a superstition that comes. So, oh, if I step out, I'm going to get whacked. Yeah, of course you are. That means you're doing something right. But it doesn't mean that what you're stepping into isn't the will of God for your life. So who or what is your Herod at the moment? The early church understood this. Throughout the book of Acts, there's conflict, danger, warfare and persecution, which perversely, as we are seeing actually in Ukraine and the Russia situation, is advancing the kingdom of God even more. We're hearing of churches being planted all around the outside of Ukraine at the moment. Because the church has been scattered, the leaders have been scattered, and they're calling in saying, we think we might start a church here. Is that okay? Can you support us? Can you help us? That's what's going on at the moment. The church is scattered, but the scattering leads to the multiplication of the churches throughout Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the then known world. Who knows if there hadn't been opposition we may not know about the gospel yet oh I'm getting excited I hope you are so what is opposing or threatening you what's saying to you you're not coming in here Jubilee Church what's saying to us you're not coming in here the promises God has given you're not going to have What's challenging our authority? What do we need to hold on to God for? Because of what he said. Let me just sum up. And then I feel like we need to go back into worship for a bit. We're, I've tried to get through quick so we can. And uh, I know James has got several uh, songs that kind of follow on from earlier on. Um, let me just sum up. Light confronts darkness. Darkness reacts. It's not a passive thing. When the light shines, it challenges thinking, current ideologies. It even appears to break the rules sometimes. Who we are and what we've got brings a spiritual confrontation that often leads to opposition. And contrary to what many might say, I think this shows that we're on the right track. Jesus says the kingdom of God advances forcefully. And the Christmas story is no exception. God started the war in sending Jesus, and it continues through us, forcefully taking ground and going after what is ours. Opposition is Satan's reaction to that advance. Very, very few times will he pick a fight with you, but he will react when you start to step out. So who opposes us is a defeated enemy. Even though he challenges our credentials with questions like, who do you think you are? What makes you think you can come into this territory? But at the times like this, we need to know who we are and how dangerous we are to the darkness. Oh, guys, did you hear that? 
And I think, oh, Rob's coming in for a landing. This is the really good stuff now. <laughs> At times like this, we need to know who we are and how dangerous we are to the darkness. We do. We need to know that. Jesus said, you are a light on a hill. And so you are a provocation. Church, it's time to shine, to contend with God so that the darkness flees. And for some of us, it's about personal victories. You know, so what have you backed off from? Because of opposition, or it's too hard. What has intimidated you? The spirit of intimidation is so rife in our culture. It seems like we come against that more than anything. Intimidate, who do you think you are? I don't know, just a cultural stronghold. And we need to say things like, I'm just doing what Jesus told me to do. That's where I get my authority from. I don't know where you get yours from. So what promises are you waiting to inherit, individually, as a family? What are some of the promises God's spoken? You've got to contend for some of those. But for all of us, I think there are territories in the spirit that we need to be stepping into. There are promises that God has made to us as a church that he's called us to step into. That's what this time's about. And we need to hold on to God in the darkness, because I prophesy it. The day is about to break. We need to wrestle in the darkness because the day is about to break and when that happens, the darkness has to flee. You you don't see darkness fighting the light at the break of day. It doesn't have a choice. I prophesy it. The darkness has to flee because the day is about to break. Amen.